Cars on Call is a different car podcast. Two car guy physicians discuss car topics from a perspective you won't find anywhere else. My name is Steve Schutz, and I've been publishing new car reviews for almost 30 years. And my co-host is trauma surgeon Stefan Moran, who has not only operated on countless car crash victims, but has also published research on car safety. Welcome to Cars on Call. Welcome to Cars on Call. I'm Steve Schutz, and I'm here with my co-host, trauma surgeon Stefan Moran. We have a very special guest who we'll get to, who's another surgeon, and I'll introduce him shortly, but he's a very special, very interesting, uh, wonderful guest, and we're very excited to have him. Stefan, uh, before we get to our, our, our guest, I'm sure you heard about this. I don't know if I'm, I, I was going to say, I don't know if I should be excited or disgusted, and I'm going on the side of disgusted, but th- there's a Red Bull sports car. Yeah, I read that. You know, Adrian New, I think, has got to catch up with Gordon Murray, which he'll never do, but I, I really don't give a shit about these hypercars anymore. They're They're untouchable. They're not even a first world problem. The cars are outrageously priced, but I think Adrian Newey, I mean, the guy has designed some amazing Formula One cars, so I'm glad to see him doing something with a road car, but I would not call this a road car. This is basically a Formula One car in disguise, like the Valkyrie, the Aston Martin Valkyrie, which he helped design, by the way. Yeah. The- so I'm, yeah, I read about him. I'm like, yeah, another hyper car, whoop-de-doo. I really don't care. Yeah, it's. It's for the for the record. It's seven point two million dollars. It's track only. Uh, the 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 capabilities of this sports car will be absolutely uh, amazing. And if you can afford one, then I'm sure it'll be great on the track. I agree with you, Stefan. I mean, seven point two million dollars for a car you use uh, maybe uh, one weekend every couple months. I just seems so. By the way, with the team supporting you at the track. Yeah, but not for free. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. It's, and hopefully it won't rain like it did on all the Ferraris that were, yeah. You know. Oh, I saw that. Oh my gosh. The FXXs or whatever. Yeah. They got yeah. rained on at Goodwood. Uh, incredible. But you know, I'm also tired of it. The first hypercar was the Bugatti Veyron. I thought that was pretty cool. A, a Ferdinand Fieck thing. Fieck thing. Uh, but now we've got, in addition to the Bugatti, we've got Remop. We got the Gordon Murray cars. You just alluded to the Mercedes one, the Aston Martin Valkyrie. Those both can be re- driven on the street. Uh, there's the Koenigseggs and the Paganis and Feniers and uh, I don't care. But here's, the one, but here's the ones I do like, the Remac and Koenigsegg, because their technology that they developed. Remac was involved with the Valkyrie. So that technology that Remac and Koenigsegg are doing, that will drift down to EVs and hybrids eventually in some form or manner. So to me, they're, they're like the NASA of the automotive industry. Adrian New just can design a car, but he's going to have, I guarantee there's going to be some Remac involved in the hybrid power unit in that vehicle. So those are the guys that actually interest me from a technological standpoint, because what they do, just like NASA and the Tang that we drank, will come down, trickle down to the automotive industry in some form or fashion. But yeah, I could care less about this new Red Bull car. I'll never see one in my lifetime. I don't care. Uh, you know, we, we've all been car guys. Uh, including our guests, we've been car guys forever. And the idea that we would be bored by cars that had capabilities we, we could not understand or even conceive of 30 years ago, and we'd be bored by them. You know, zero yeah. to 60, two seconds, 2.2 seconds, uh, go around a track uh, almost as fast as a race car, and we're bored. 
I've seen the SR seventy one. I've seen the SR seventy one Blackbird airplane more times in my lifetime than I'll ever see one of these supercars. How about that? Yeah, good point. Yeah, uh, we used to we both used to be in the Air Force, and just a really quick point before we move on. Um, you know, the the British Grand Prix just happened, and it was exciting. Uh, the greatest F one race of the last five years. I think. I think that's a very fair statement. May I? I say probably even in the decade. Absolutely unbelievable race there all the rule changes came together the downforce it was absolutely exciting and it was strategy and it was racing oh by the way a giant crash at all which we don't like and once again hats off to formula one for shutting down the video i, I don't like the wait to make sure the driver's okay but they're very good about not letting it become a coliseum spectator sport when a driver crashes they make sure the driver's okay then they bring up the video but um, yeah, Zoo crashed, opened up the race, and uh, Carlos Sainz finally, finally got his first victory, well-deserved victory. And oh, by the way, Lewis Hamilton podium position in the Mercedes. I mean, you got to give credit to Mercedes for doing that as well. So yeah, watch this race. Yeah, there's a couple of points I would make is, you know, they, they change rules all the time to make passing easier and make racing better. It almost never works. This year it worked. This year, uh, absolutely. The second thing I'd say is that the cars look better. Those those twenty inch wheels, they look way better than the other ones. It, these cars look much better proportioned. I like the car, except for two things. One, I think it needs to be about eighty percent of its current size. The car is huge, and I don't like those little wings on the front tires that come up to help. But that's part of the downforce package. I don't like those things. As I don't even know what you call those, but I do agree the cars look fabulous. But I'd like to see them maybe something smaller. They just, they do look big and the drivers are having some issues identifying where the front of the car is because it's so big and they can't see over the front wings. Yeah, I, I agree with the wings look kind of funny, but you know something, whatever they did to change the aerodynamics. So they, they, they got rid of the dirty air. So we have passing, uh, if it causes a little bit of ugliness here and there, I don't care because it, it worked. So the passing was wonderful. I agree. I can't remember last time I saw a better race. And then number two. You had Ferrari, Red Bull, and Mercedes all podiuming, if that's a word. So you had the three top teams in the podium. The same thing happened today, by the way, in Austria. It's really exciting. It's really great. Uh, for Carlos Sainz, I'm psyched for him, too. Carlos, all you had to do is disobey team orders. <laughs> yeah, very good. Hey, well, I see our guest smiling here on Zoom as we've been talking. Introduce him and let him add some comments, Steve-O. Yeah, I, I definitely want to hear. We're, we're very fortunate to have Mark Moskowitz. Mark Moskowitz, MD. He's Dr. A, Mark Moskowitz. Yeah, Mark, Mark Moskowitz, MD. He's a retired uh, surgeon. And uh, I, I do not have time to read his CV, which is incredibly impressive, not just on the medical side, but also on the automotive side. I it's first, basically a book chapter, I'm just saying. Yeah, it's amazing. I first found out about Mark on Sports Car Market, and he wrote a really good analysis. And and I thought, wow, this guy's a good writer. And I looked up the bio and it turns out he's a retired surgeon. I said, wow, this guy's great. And uh, I remember I called Stefan and I said, we, we should try to get him on the show if, if he would come on. And fortunately, he has said, yes, uh, I'll go through just some brief highlights and then we'll hear from Mark, director and curator of the Museum of Automotive History, board of directors of the Motorsports Hall of Fame, uh, Motor Trend, uh, Hot Rod Magazine, Radio Appearances. He's been a judge at many Concord, but I'll just give a partial list of locations where he's judged. Car shows are Concord, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Florida, 
Indiana, Arizona, California, New Mexico, New York, Connecticut. Is this true, Mark? Delhi, India, and uh, Dusseldorf, Germany. <laughs> and, and of course, too numerous to count articles. So I don't know if that's true, Mark. You can tell us, but welcome to the show. Thank you. Welcome. Well, thank you very much for having me. I'm looking forward to the hour. Stephen and Stephen, is that, is that the way we're going to say it? Or Steph, Steve and yeah, Steve-O and Stefan. Stefan, okay, I got it. All right. Um, well, thank you for having me. And uh, yes, uh, it was the 21 gun salute in Delhi, India. Uh, there's a gentleman by the name of Madden Mohan who runs a rental car uh, empire and he brings great cars and great judges to Delhi. And as a a little reward for coming. He, the the country shows you around the country for four or five days thereafter. Really, it was quite enjoyable. And uh, Dusseldorf was a fabulous uh, concours called the Masterpieces, which was short lived. It, it took place at Castle Deek, but I mean, you know, we had several. We had Le Mans winners, uh, Le Mans winners as 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 judges. We had some uh, great, great, great cars. And and I think that that's been one of the fun things for my retirement getting involved in this and, and meeting the people that you um, admired as a child, you know, as, and you've grown old and you've seen their accomplishments, you've rooted for them or, or you, you've been proud of their automotive designs or their engineers, or you've heard about them and, and uh, really been quite a fun deal. I got a question for you. You know, so what do you, we talked about the hypercars in the beginning. You're obviously with sports car market, the historical market, um, automotive history. And I know you've done some racing as an automotive enthusiast. What's your take on the hypercar, like the new Red Bull? You're always moving forward. And as you say, a lot of the great technology trickles down, whether it be regenerative braking, and that's used all the time now. And of course, you know, breaking the, the, the barriers of speed. I mean, it's, it's what we've been, what we're always, always moving forward. Sometimes it doesn't, it doesn't help, but a lot of times it does. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. I drove a Lucid not long ago. And let me tell you, if you know what gut wrenching is, that is, you move forward and your your viscera move forward and, and slam forward and backward. It was just amazing acceleration. I thought it was fantastic. Obviously, uh, they're pricing themselves out of the market, but part of it that's the whole car industry. If you look at the uh, a used McLaren three or four years ago, they were bringing under hundred thousand dollars. Now you won't see anything like that. All collector cars, all exciting cars, and indeed street cars have all uh, rocketed in price. Technology is expensive. So. Well, not just technology. It's just the, the, the whole, every car has become, because of chip shortages, because of demand, because of inflation, prices have risen for everything in the car world. And, and obviously, we're always afraid to price people who might have great enjoyment out of out of things but if you look at it on the other hand the average hyundai will outperform the 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 racing car you had in the 60s and 70s so you know yeah. that the, i I'm, I'm i'm thrilled to move forward with hypercars i'm not quite as happy in formula one as you guys are but uh for hypercars i'm all for so you know you're yeah you're going to ask we all watched racing when we were younger and when you watch people in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s the, these, if you push somebody out of the way, you could kill them. And right. people were much more gentlemanly. People no longer, it's now almost bumper cars in every form of racing. And, and it, it, rather than 
use your power, use your finesse, use your skill to pass somebody. It's pushed them out of the way. And it started as, as far back as the, 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 the battles with Senate and Prost. So as cars yeah. have gotten safer, uh, it's become an unsportsmanlike sport. Sorry, I, I hopped on. I hopped on a podium really quick. <laughs> well, we don't want to even talk about last year uh, because last year, I, yeah, I feel exactly the same way. Um, but changing gears here, so you know, I grew up always believing life's a bitch when your job interferes with your hobbies. And when I look at your automotive CV, when you were practicing, how did you balance your practice and your automotive desire? Or just really, since you retired, that you've channeled that that all that energy of a surgeon being on call day in, day out operating. Is that now that you found the time or what were you doing when you were practicing and was it a good escape for you? It was, well, um, I, I think you, 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 you hit the nail on the head. Obviously I wasn't, uh, I didn't write a lot of things. I didn't go to a lot of car shows. I did not test any number of cars, but I did race and racing was just in at first, you know, just a defined, you would go on a Friday and Sunday, and maybe that was your weekend off in, in, in three or whatever it happened to be. And, and during that time, you were so there, there was probably no other activity, a golf game, a, uh, a dinner out, uh, something would not distract you so much that you'd forget about the problems of the day. Right. This was a hundred percent engrossing when you were going down, getting that extra tenth, going into a, a turn with two abreast with there was nothing on your mind as far as medicine went. Um, so it was a fabulous, fabulous thing for me. How did I find the time later? Well, it turns out that it really wasn't my intent when I moved to Charlotte or to the Charlotte area. The reason I went to our area, Gastonia was it was a large hospital in a small town, a 500 bed hospital in a small town next to a major city that didn't have a medical school. Haven't, why do you not want a medical school? Because that would attract people who think, well, there's going to be better care there than you offer in your own community. So that was a positive. Little did I know that it would become the racing center of the United States. And all of a sudden, I was 30 minutes away from Charlotte Motor Speedway, which had all sorts of activities. And you could do your SCCA races on the weekend, or you could run legends on Monday and Tuesday night. And, um, you know, all of a sudden, everything was nearby you. And, and basically, I could practice like the devil on Monday and then on Tuesday at two o'clock, I could hop over there and they were very accommodating. They had a close parking space and I would be racing at three. I think what's, you know, hearing your story is it's a commonly repeated theme, I think amongst physicians that find a balance in life. And a lot of old docs work to the end of their life, retire and die. But those that do well, or like you and I had my own outlet where you have to find this outlet for this amazing amount of stress that we have in our daily practice, working on patients. And when you can find some place to channel that intensity into something which clears your mind, opens you up for the rest of your life and makes you a better person. And um, and I think you know it's you've got this kinship, Steve, as well, as well that when. We start talking cars and doing automotive stuff. The rest of the world disappears. You know, we don't we don't talk about great cases. Steve and I never do. We're always talking about cars and this and that, mm -hmm. what driving school we want to do. And but I think that's very important for the mental health because of the intensity of what we do as physicians. 
Well, I, I believe not necessarily for the betterment of the world, but uh, but for the betterment of, the, of, of physicians, we no longer are quite as the, our time commitment is no longer the same commitment that it had when when we'd step on and I were training. It was not uncommon to be a surgeon every other night and every other weekend, and uh, yeah, on the day that you were off, you left pretty late, and. Uh, now, there are limits on the amount of time you can be there when you're training, and it starts to create a great work-life balance. Now, that's right. good in one way, and if I could wax philosophic for a moment, uh, going away from cars, it's bad in another way. Because even the average physician will learn something by being present constantly and watching it evolve. Nowadays, people don't watch things evolve and uh, so I think that's the negative part of that. But I think these people, while they're these, these doctors who are training, most of them now have a much better work-life balance than we had. I mean, right. I, I do remember being on every night for the first couple of years. We had it better than those that came before us. Mm -hmm. you know, so you're right, that life-work balance, and that prepares you for the transition out of medicine, which you know, you've seen doctors that they just don't do well when they retire. Those are the guys who are coming back to the surgeon's lounge or coming back to the doctor's dining room. Their wife says, I married you for life and love, not for lunch. Get the hell out of my house. So, um, but yeah, you're what you, you have done an amazing transition from your retirement to the automotive. And you know, I like to say chapeau Bob, which is French for hats off to you that you've done that. And that's, that's wonderful. Yeah, it uh, it helps to speak French in this show, Mark. Hey, uh, <laughs> a quick a quick question, uh, and I I really do uh, uh, I like your answer about racing because um, I'm a proceduralist, but I'm not a surgeon, and even mm -hmm. the intensity of my procedures or complications or failed procedures keep me up at night. And of course, it's even more intense for a surgeon, as you and Stefan know well. So I like your answer that if you're racing, you really do get away. You forget about whatever, whatever you had. I have a question for both of you that I thought of a couple of days ago, because I, I was thinking, you know, we have two surgeons here, a uh, different world, but both of them are really into uh, cars. And it occurred to me that a disproportionate number of surgeons are really into cars. And my question is this, and I'll, I'll start with a quote. You both know this quote, but you probably haven't thought of it recently. It's from William Lyons, who's the founder of Modern Jaguar. And he said, uh, the automobile is the closest thing we will ever create to something that is alive. And uh, when you're operating, you're you're looking uh, under the hood, and you know with all the problems that can occur in an automobile. To me, uh, because it's the closest thing we will ever create to something that's alive. Maybe that's the the similarity. I'll ask both both you surgeons. Mark, we'll start with you. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I was hoping Stefan would go first, but I'll go. I, 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 can go first. I can go first. I go first. I'll go first, Mark. So I you know, one of the things that I always grew up as a kid and I was making models and doing things with my hands. That's why I went to surgery. And but what really came to me was I don't want to throw pills at a disease. I'm gonna put my hands on it and I wanna cut it out. And I wanna fix it. I wanna fix broken things. And and when I get and I find the same thing, I turn wrenches on all my vehicles. Um, I like getting under the hood of a car. Um, I don't race like you, Mark, but um, I always want, I've got a car set up to race it. I just, it's one of those many things that I'm going to run out of time before I ever get to it. But I find you're right, Steve-O, that 
the car provides that. I think as surgeons like Mark and I, I need this hand eye immersion where I'm participating in whatever's occurring at that time, whether it's surgery. And when I get in a car, shifting gears, the clutch, the smell, it's, I mean, operating rooms have each trauma patient and each general surgery patient, depending on what they have, they have their own characteristic smell. So it is a whole immersion in the automotive world and hobby gives me all of that to me. I can touch, I can feel, I can smell. And it's that I think, you know, we're just sort of sometimes we need a lot of stimulation because we're all a little bit ADD, a little bit hyper OCD, and I need all this feedback. So that, so that's my take on it. What do you think, Mark? First of all, I'll tell you where that, that quote comes from. That comes from, as you know, William Lyons, Sir William Lyons, the, the head of Jaguar. This gentleman was an artist. And I think for any of us, if we have a pursuit that we happen to enjoy, that becomes alive to us, whether it's a painting, whether it's a piece of furniture, those people who are passionate, and William Lyons was passionate, what he, did you know that when he created the Jaguar engine, he said, I want to make the most beautiful engine in the world. Okay. Oh, that's great. That, Six is. Oh, my God. And, and, and the, the Jaguar uh, do overhead cam six is that. I'm pleased to have one of my cars. So I, I believe anyone who has passion, who believe, does, is passionate about something, that becomes alive to him. And, there, you know, we have hundreds and thousands and thousands of people that look at what we do as, well, it's just a car. It gets you from point A to B. How can it be different? Well, We've had that feeling, so it's different for us. If we were painters, it would be, if you were a painter, if I had the skill to be a painter, it would come alive for me. If I made furniture, I said, come alive for me. If I built houses, they would come alive for me. I think it's a matter of perspective. I think it's a matter of the individual. Right. Well, you know, Mark, you mentioned that I'm actually, I have a woodworking business. I'm a woodworker. I build cabinets and tables, and that's my creative expression. From the eye-hand coordination standpoint. Well, I alluded to that because I had already done a little web search. Ah, okay, yeah, <laughs> websurgeon.com. Yeah, <laughs> all right. <laughs> hey, uh, uh, Mark, I like that answer because you're right. Uh, creativity yes. uh, is something that, that does come alive, and of course, uh, I think you both would agree that every single human being is different. Therefore, every single operation is different. People think, oh, you take the appendix out, it's always the same. As you both know. That's not true. Right. Yeah, I'll never mm -hmm. forget the time I took out. I had a patient that had, put it simply terms, their entire body was reversed. The heart was on the other side. The liver was on Sinus the left side. Sinus and versus, yeah. Yes, complete size. And I had to take the appendix out on the left side. Normally, your appendix on your right side. It, you're, it is amazing. Your muscle memory, it just, it was a hard, one of the hardest operations I've done because I've done, I don't know, probably over a thousand appies or more. And it's like, it's just, it's this kind of muscle memory you have, but when you're on the other side of the body and it's the same organ, your brain keeps telling you, no, this is not right. This is not right. You're fighting your brain's memory. This is one of the strangest operations I've done from a eye hand coordination standpoint. It just, it was, a, it was, a, I think it's like anybody trying to paint a painting with their non-dominant hand is what it was. That's what, that was the experience for me. I think we all lived for the day when we were training or, and, and as we went up, we waited for that patient. We waited for that patient who came in with odd symptoms in the left lower quadrant and you listened to their heart and it was on the other side 
and you knew. You, I mean, we were always prepared for that moment. And the one or two times it happened to me in my life, I was just so happy. It was just amazing. Yeah. It was this guy, you yeah. know. And uh, but I said, all right, well, so, so I actually I, I went out to parents and I said, I got I got some news for you. Good news, bad news. Yeah, the bad news is he had appendix, but appendicitis. I took it out, and it was on the left side. But the good news is, is uh, penis is actually in the midline. It's not on. A, you know, and they kind of lie. I try. They laugh, but I mean, it was, you know, you try to find, they were stressed out parents. This kid had had a couple of heart operations as a kid, broke the ice with him, but I always try to find a little humor. But <laughs> that's, that's funny. Uh, that's All right. Yeah. Hey, before we, before we get back to cars, I, I'm actually very curious, Mark, why, why surgery? We all go to medical school. You got to pick a specialty. What was it about surgery that you said, that's what I want to do? Well, you know, it, it, it's, it's all a, uh, it's, it's an evolution, of course. I went to medical school, not 100% sure I wanted to go to medical school. I, uh, really? What I, year did I, you go to I, medical school? Uh, uh, you don't have to, you don't have to answer that. <laughs> I, well, no, the reason, I mean, everything's on the internet. Everything okay. about well, The reason everybody. I ask is it was so damn competitive. I, you've got a little, we got, we both got gray hair. Now you're just probably a little bit. Right. It was so damn competitive back then that, even yeah. the thought of going to medical school, if you weren't 100% dedicated, busting your tail and getting your grades and your MCAT, you weren't going to get in. So the fact that you, you actually were just kind of thinking about going, I mean. Well, there was a program in Boston called the Six-Year Medical Program. Oh, yeah. And, and so what it did was it took, if you were accepted into it out of high school, it took the worry out of getting into medical school. That is, if you kept your nose clean and did a reasonable job in college, you were accepted to medical school. And it just gave you an entirely different perspective during college. Right. You could enjoy your courses. You could take a minor. I took a lot of American history courses. So you know, I wasn't 100% sure I wanted to, but I, I had this opportunity. I applied to that as one of the things on the advice of uh, my mother, whose father was a neurologist. And I went in and, and I kind of didn't really enjoy it until the clinical years when all of a sudden it became just fabulous. It was a fabulous thing to be a doctor. And then uh, uh, I was going to be a neurologist and it was accepted to a position at the Leahy Clinic, went to Grady because uh, uh, at that particular time, the Boston hospitals were all in the turmoil. There was Mayor Kevin White, and he couldn't quite decide whether Boston City Hospital ought to be under one medical school or three, and whether trauma ought to come to all the community hospitals or just the Boston City Hospital. Things changed every single month, it seemed, and I didn't want to be part of that turmoil. Here was a great city hospital with, with legendary surgeons like Dean Warren, and they had a fabulous budget and they had a tremendous amount of trauma. It was an ideal setup. And sure enough, I got sucked into being general surgeons. Uh, in urology uh, at Grady Hospital, a lot of it was just treating strictures, uh, penile strictures, uh, post gonorrheal. I mean, it really was a lot of it. And general surgery was so diverse, so exciting. You know, and, and during the time you could do everything. And I did everything from, from pin hips to drill burr holes to open chests, et cetera, et cetera. It was an incredibly engaging, incredibly rewarding profession. Yeah. Yeah. Back then, general surgery, when we trained, you, you actually came out, you did everything. You know, you more so a little bit prior to me. But now people come into general surgery, they all going into some kind of fellowship to do something else. And 
you, know, you got one guy does thyroid, one guy does breast, one guy does mid four gut, the other guy, you know, like, oh, give me a break. You know, that's why I love trauma surgery that I had to do it all. You know, you know. an interesting thing when I was in medical school and then we're going away from cars, but uh, in medical school in Boston, virtually most chairmen of most departments like GYN or orthopedics were still general surgeons that there had, when they had come up, there were no boards in any of these, in any of their professions. So the head of GYN was David Charles, who was a, who was a general surgeon and similarly across town, all, it was just amazing. So uh, yeah, great, great stuff. Yeah. It does. It does seem to me as an outside observer that it was the lap coli that changed everything. And once all of a sudden you, you were now working with a laparoscope instead of opening somebody up, the, the surgical principles were all of a sudden different. It used to be you open somebody up, everything's kind of the same, doesn't, but almost doesn't matter where you are. However, uh, with a laparoscope or a, thor a thoracoscope, whatever you call it, thoracoscope, the urology scopes, everything else, everything is all a scope. Now it's different. You have to specialize. Hey, uh, going back to cars, uh, I've got a really a question that just was immediately occurred to me when I read your CV, Mark, of all those things you've done, and we listed just a, a small percentage of them. What was your favorite? What was your favorite uh, experience? And what was your favorite? What's your favorite type of automotive experience? You always say the next one. Um, you know, they, they've all had different different charms. I mean, uh, racing has been incredible. As I say, it's so absorbing. It's 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 just so amazing. You end up with as a uh, there's a fellowship with everybody there with uh with the the testing of new cars there was excitement it was christmas every week when they rolled into your driveway um you know all of a sudden it was just like christmas for for me a brand new car every week just fantastic for uh uh the motorsports hall of fame it was like being uh, at cooperstown if you liked mickey mantle you got to meet, sit and, and, and dine go to the homes of and 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 interact with all your childhood heroes and listen to their stories and understand their motivations. Uh, you know, each one of these experiences and now the judging, you meet like-minded people who have risen to, to own some of the cars that people own uh, or to have the knowledge to stand in front of them and talk about them. Many of the people around me, all of whom I think probably know much more about cars than I do. They, they, they all have to be tremendously accomplished. It's just been, so you're around accomplished people. And it's, it, as, as you know, having been in medicine, having, you know, it's great to be around accomplished people. And so, you know, I, I guess I didn't, I don't have a favorite one. I, they're all great. It's, you know, it's, it, I, I hate to be cliche. It's the next experience, but it is the next experience which incidentally is judging at Salon Purvey at uh, Blenheim Palace. Wow. Wow. All right. So <laughs> this is a, a related question, Mark, and that is with everything you have accomplished, what are your automotive goals? I mean, obviously you're going to, you're going to judge at that next event, but what are you thinking? Okay. In a year, two, three, I want to do that. I want to get all my cars running. <laughs> yeah. That, there you go. So what, so it's currently in your stable. Yeah. Let's trade. What's in your stable? So I have a, a 99 hard S code Miata that is set up for ready to go to the track. I just, I need to do mm -hmm. a couple more things. I've got a, a bullet Mustang and then I have a 
back ordered ERA AC two eighty nine sports um, cover being built. Fantastic, great great choices, by the way. Yeah, Steve, I, I I'm not an old car guy necessarily, although I want to be. Uh, it's interesting. The way I am is when I am uh, working, I'm kind of checking boxes and I'm not uh, able to just say, all right, I'm going to focus on cars completely. Although obviously I, I write a monthly column. So uh, I do want to get an old muscle car, but I don't have one right now. I've got a, a, a 2013 E92 M3 manual that I picked up in Germany and uh, I don't drive that much. And if I want to put a smile on my face, I drive it. It's great. And uh, I was born in 1963, which is the same year as uh, the introduction in Frankfurt of the 9-11. And uh, I'm sure you both know this, but uh, in 1981, the 9-11 was going to be killed. And uh, a new American CEO saved it. His name was Peter Schutz. Uh, No relation. But my favorite uncle, who I would spend many hours with uh, when I was younger talking cars, his name was Peter Schutz. I've always wanted a 911, and I decided I'm going to go get one. Uh, I saw the factory in 2000, no, 1983. I was 20, and uh, I said, next time I come here, it's to get a car. So I had it set up, and I ordered a 911. I I picked it up last year, not in Germany because of COVID. Darn it! I picked it up in Atlanta. So uh, and tell an, about an, the color, an M3 and a 911. It's a manual transmission, also Oslo blue, which I just like. Uh, oh, by the way, it's a 1963 so the- color. Yeah. Oh, well, the wise, you know, the, the, the rise of Porsche, the number of people that are the cult-like following uh, just seems to grow and grow and grow. So uh, I, I certainly understand it. I'm more a British sports car guy dating back to the 70s. I have a, a Lotus Series 2, 7, a Lotus Series 3, 7, and a Lotus Series 4, 7. I also have a Milan. I have a... Tell me when to stop. Um, uh, Keep going. I have a 61 Ford. I have a 61 Ford that uh, I will be putting at auction soon. Um, this is a uh, held at NHRA record briefly in the, the 60s. Uh, same weekend that uh, Garlitz broke 200. It's the same track, interestingly enough. Um, but it's a 390, uh, three deuces, four-speed, uh, 61 sunliner. I have an old sprint car that was uh, driven by Bobby Allison. I have my old race cars, of course. And I met uh, Bobby Allison. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's great. He came to the house and saw the car, as a matter of wow. fact. You know, you live in Charlotte, everybody's there. And uh, of course, nowadays my real focus is Allard's. I uh you oh. cut a hole in you cut a hole in the heavens and then when an allard drops out, the hole stays open and they keep coming out and keep coming out and keep coming out. So I uh my my regular driver is an Allard K three. I drive that. Uh, certainly once a week, you know, maybe twice a week, uh, which is a, a lightweight British sports car with a Cadillac engine made in 1953. You remember, Steve, 1953? I know. <laughs> anyway, um, but it's a, it's a, it, these were these were the car. And Allard, of course, was Sidney Allard, was a was a, a, a builder of sports cars, even in the pre-war era. He went to Le Mans, finished third as a privateer. He won the Monte Carlo rally in a car of his own design. And, of course, Carroll Shelby had the idea of Cobras when he was racing in Allard, a front engine, a lightweight British sports car with a, uh, a big American V8 engine. So I, I enjoy Allard's, and uh, I won in that. Uh, and then uh, the last eight Allard's out of the factory were called Palm Beach Mark IIs, and they looked 
remarkably like a BMW 507, uh, but they were powered by, uh, and, and this is the only time, to the best of my knowledge, the Jaguar supplied engines officially to another streetcar. There were six of these eight made with XK140 engines with the C head, which is the competition head. And uh, uh, I, I was fortunate enough to drag one out of a barn where it had sat for 40 years. Two days nice. before Wayne Carini was supposed to arrive. Ah, he beat <laughs> Wayne Carini the deal. That's great. Yeah, the uh, Allard in the barn. Uh, actually, I had to buy four cars to get the and clean the barn in order to buy the Allard. Very nice. Allard's a great car for listeners. Look up the early Allards. It's, they've got cycle fenders on them. They're just, it's, it's just such a cool looking car. Of course, with the monster V8 in the front. Uh, what a great car. I had a 60 Austin Healy bug-eyed Sprite years ago. Mm -hmm. And as I've had British and my wife had to push that car too many times. And that's why when I wanted another Roadster, I got the, I haven't, I got the 99 Miata. So that, that satisfies my British urging, but it drives whenever I want it to drive. They're fabulous cars. They uh, essentially Mazda out Alon the Alon. Yes. At the same time, Lotus reissued the Lotus Alon, but in this case, it was a front wheel drive Isuzu powered car, which actually drove phenomenally, but uh, nice. certainly didn't didn't capture the market like the Miata did. And the Miata, of course, has been an amazing, amazing success. I love I love those cars and I love the story about the Allard and and Mark. Uh, what do you think? What do you, what would you like to get? What's your next car that you would, your next dream car or next car you want to get? Gee, I mean, I really have not thought thought about it. I, I it's not that I'm satisfied. Of course, we're never satisfied. Every time I go to an auction, there are ten cars I want. Fortunately, my my garage space is limited. I do like the, the McLaren 720s. I thought that was just the right combination. I like that. Uh, I should have. I should never have passed on those Ford GTs. They are great cars. The 2005, 2006 yes. cars, and as you well know, they were the run of 4,000. They were supposed to be 4,500. They they uh, uh, last few actually didn't sell at a premium. They actually sold at a discount, and uh, should have grabbed one. Uh, I think that would be yeah. a great car. Friend of mine is a neurosurgeon. He's a huge car guy. Ford. He only owns Fords. He's got the GT and we, we drove that car. That is a, that is just an analog beast pleasure. What a, what a mm -hmm. car, um, as a, yeah, that really is a fabulous car. And you're think, right. Uh, the engine was developed by your patient, Stefan. Yeah. For Jack, but, uh, Jack Roush. Yep. He had, mm -hmm. he had a lot of that. It's his engine in that car. And yeah, I'm I'm driving up to visit with him next week. So. Jack Roush is just a, a truly amazing engineer. And yes, indeed, he did uh, contribute to that. He's contributed to any number of any number of cars. Of course, you know, that bullet you drive, I, I assume you're talking about the bullet two or three years ago. Yes. Yeah. I've got a that bullet, 2019 yeah. bullet. They're, they are a fabulous car. Yeah. I tell Fab listeners that they've heard this story, but I live out in the country and just when I go up to the coffee shop, arriving at a Porsche or something else just would not work. But where I live, you know, the, the bullets, they like, it's a Mustang. They like it. So to be a little conscious of what I drive, where I live. Anyway, great, great car. I, uh, did a week test on one and, and, uh, uh, I fell in love with the car as well. And so my kind of new car, my current car is a 
Mustang GT set up very similarly, Magnaride suspension, basically the V8. But the thing is, you couldn't get a bullet as a convertible. So mine's, I want a convertible. And I have, of course, a different, a different, a little different intake. So I have about 20 less horsepower than you do. Nice. Very nice. So you know, Steve and I talk a lot, he and I, about the EVs and stuff. Do you have an EV in your garage? Will there be an EV in your garage? Um, were I still working? Yes, because that makes a lot of sense. If right. you do small commutes, I think it's a much better idea. And uh, even though the waste disposal problem still is a problem, um, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal about, actually, I'll tell you two stories about that. One is when I, I was testing cars and they dropped off a Chrysler EV, uh, uh, the big, uh, uh, whatever, minivan. And when they dropped it off, it, it was down to 40%. And so what I did is I looked, and this was you know maybe two years ago or maybe a year ago, uh, and I wanted to go to Charleston that weekend. And I called around to see where I could charge on the way. And I really could not conceivably do it. And not having a supercharger, it would take me till the next day to get the car charged up. So I never got to drive that car down for that trip. So the, uh, that, that was a problem. And the, in the Wall Street Journal, uh, somebody talked about having to make a long journey and through the South. And yeah, we did we, they, the road trip, the two girls yeah. on a road trip. We talked yeah. about that. Those, that is a great article. And we mentioned it. I think it was two podcasts ago, Steve-O. Yeah. For listeners that are entertained the idea of EV, you need to read that article because that is the reality of American infrastructure right now outside of major cities. And then it was a great picture um, over the holiday weekend that showed about 60 Teslas in line at a charging station in California trying to get home. So, One point I've made, Mark, and I think this is true, and I'll, I'll ask you, I can envision a future where all vehicles are electric, electrically powered and you know autonomous and you charge them using the tides or winds or whatever. It's fully sustainable. But getting there is going to be very, uh, very rocky. Right. Fits and starts. Fits and starts. But uh, I mean, obviously, Tesla's a success. Rivian will be a success. You know, Ford's got their, their lightning. Yeah, I think the only thing that didn't come out that was a success was the Chevy Bolt. But uh, uh, I, I think it's here to stay. I think it's a wise idea. I, uh, 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 I'm sure in New York, people would say, you know, maybe there ought to be about 40, 40, 40 blocks where there's no, no uh, carbon fuel vehicles. I don't know. You know, so uh, I think it's a good idea. I really do. I just, uh, it just doesn't work if you have to go any kind of distance. They have to fix that problem. Not with Chevron and Texaco and all the big fuel companies, you know, the infrastructure for them and their profit margin is so high that they're not in any hurry to change their model to electric charging stations, which is kind of what we're going to need that many stations out there to supply the cars. But. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we're, we are, uh, I think almost out of time. I don't know if you have any more questions to find, but this has been, uh, amazing. And uh, I will just say this, Mark, you just said something that I think is the quote for any car enthusiast. And I'll repeat it because I love it. Fortunately, my garage space is limited. That's a great line. And I think I could, I every, I think every car guy deep down would like to have 20 cars, but they know it wouldn't be good for them. And of course it wouldn't be good for 
marital relations. Well, that, so, that's uh, why that's why my car collection is so limited. <laughs> I'm still married, <laughs> you know. You know, I haven't traded her up, but uh, <laughs> so all right. Well, well this, hey, before we close, yep. before we close, Steve, I got to ask. So, Mark, you know, I like to tell stories on this podcast and cocktail stories, and some are, you know, some are for the less timid, some are not, but. You know, in a career of medicine, we just see stuff that you just can't make up and stories you can't make up. Do you have a particular story from your practice career that you'd like to share with our guest? Well, you kind of sprung this one on me. And so, you know, it may not be funny, but it's kind of interesting. And for, for, for the three of us and maybe the people who are attracted to listening to this podcast, uh, this will be interesting. First of all, remember where I live. I live in Gastonia, North Carolina, bedroom community to Charlotte and uh, the racing NASCAR. Everybody is some way connected to racing. I remember when Bill Clinton visited uh, uh, Charlotte, his visit was recorded on page three. Earnhardt won that weekend and he was on page one. So <laughs> that is that's this is the context I'm, I'm talking. Yes. In. So one one day a gentleman came in and it was a, it was a trucker. And he had pulled to the side of the road to help a lady in distress. Honestly, no, no humor here. And somebody hit him and mm. they just, they just tore everything off his leg. You know, no orthopedic injury, basically skin, you know, skin, uh, sub Q, a little muscle, but nothing for them to take care of everything for a general surgeon to take care of. And, uh, you know, we talked and I, uh, you know, took him to the OR, washed his wounds out and did what I could do for him. And, and, and you know, we were talking afterwards and he was miserable. He says, he says, what's the matter? He said, if I don't show up at the racetrack this weekend, I'll lose my sponsor. And I said, do I have a solution for you? And so I began racing at Carolina Speedway on the dirt track in his stock car. So that was just that was just a, a great, great experience. Wow. Of, uh, being in the right place car. at the right time. That's cool. So are you still friends with him? He let you drive his car? You stay in touch with him? I did not stay in touch with him. I drove a few races. Uh, but again, this is uh, maybe 30 years ago or something. Yeah. You know, maybe, yeah, that sort of thing. And, you know, I would I would love to stay in touch with some of the patients and but you don't, you move on to the next one. You know, we, we're not, we don't develop long-term relations as general surgeons. We are, right. we intervene and except for maybe the vascular patients and the cancer patients, uh, you know, we're there for the next crisis, but we're not there all the time. Very good. Well, it's yeah. been an absolute pleasure, Mark. Well, it's been a great, great hearing about your stuff. I'm, uh, I, I'm, uh, anything I can do to help you guys, let me know. And really fun. I hope that uh, should you come to Charlotte or or go to a major show like Amelia or something, we'll meet up and tell lies. Yeah, Steve-O <laughs> and I have a bucket list of, of places. Goodwood, Amelia Island is on our list and Goodwood. And then the TT, I love man, TT is kind of, those kind of our three big ones that we, we'd like to hit here in the next year. And historic Le Mans as well. Are, are you going to do it? Oh, yeah, we're going to do it. Just, so yeah, we're going to do one of them. No, not scheduled. Okay. We got to get them scheduled. We got to get them scheduled. We, we I'm going to put in a plug, plug for a fellow by the name of Steve Austin, not the wrestler, but he <laughs> runs tours of Goodwood, runs tours of Historic Lamar, runs tours like that. He is uh, well connected. Uh, I remember that recently uh, Alan Cat the Cadenet died. 
when I went over to England with him and I actually, I went over to England with him and just toured great sites in Britain, uh, you know, the Churchill's lair, et cetera, et cetera. Um, he took me by the muse with, with Alan Decadenay. Um, but anyway, he, he directs tours to all these. If you go to his website, you couldn't go better. You really couldn't. You know, you were go at a, an insider. I went to Le Mans with him and sat in the Gazi Racing Street uh, suite when uh, Toyota, or at least for the first 20, 22 hours, I sat in in their in the, in the Toyota suite as the Toyota guest because of, of this fellow. It's really a great guy. Well, I thank you. Appreciate that, Steve. We're gonna we're gonna look him up. And, uh, yeah, okay. I've, seen, I've seen his ads, uh, and he's out there. Uh, I, 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 of course, did not think of the wrestler. I thought of this $6 million man. Man. But anyway, again, we, we really, uh, we're deeply grateful and value your time, Mark. So we're, we're, this is great. What a great conversation and all your accomplishments. We look forward to seeing what you do in the future. It's really cool what you're doing. Thanks so much. It's been a great pleasure. Uh, fellow enthusiasts, you know, where there's a brotherhood for, for two reasons here. Yep, you no. guys take care. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, that's it for this episode. And uh, please listen in next time. Stefan, give us a quick plug for our, our special guest that's coming up, uh, I think, in two weeks. Yeah, two weeks. So I'm leaving next week. I'm going to go spend a couple of days with Jack Roush. Um, this is a 20-year anniversary of his airplane crash where I was his trauma surgeon. And we've been friends ever since. And um, this is a special year for the two of us. So I'm going to drive up to Livonia and spend a couple of days with Jack and talk to him yesterday. He said, yeah, we're going to play hard. So I'm looking forward to getting his, some of his cars out on the and having a good time. And we're going to do some doctor patient and intimate friend discussions about his experience with the plane crash. And I think it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, I think Jack's going to open up and tell some things. We probably have never heard another interview. So I'm looking forward to it. All right, listeners, that's coming. That's it for this week. Goodbye.